Listener Production. Hey, Tom Tilly with you for today's briefing. If you called triple zero and asked for police, would you be okay with them remotely accessing your phone camera so they could see what's happening on the ground? Right now in New South Wales, trials are underway to allow police to do just that via an app called GoodSam. And the applets, police dispatchers, turn on your phone's camera and start live streaming video. It can pinpoint your location, uh, if you're in a moving vehicle, and also determine speed and direction and what's going on around you. So in this briefing, Jan Fran will unpack how it works and also find out why some people are concerned it might infringe on our privacy. One of the bits of functionality that was built into the original app was that if you, uh, the responder, like the emergency services or the ambulance or the fire, could send a text message to the person at the scene and they could click on a link and that then would enable the video. Yeah, so it's a deep dive into this new app. It's called Good Sam. That's coming up with Jan Fran after today's headlines. First, here they are with Katrina Blouse. It is Monday, the 23rd of October. Hey Tom, hi everyone. Well, the Yes campaign for The Voice has penned an open letter to federal politicians describing the referendum defeat as so mean-spirited it would remain, quote, unbelievable and appalling for decades to come. So this three-page letter, which was released last night, was written by a group of Indigenous leaders, community members and organisations, and it's ended a week of silence by Yes campaigners who have been grieving the no vote. In the letter, they describe Australians who voted no as committing a shameful act, knowingly or not, and argue that Australia is less liberal and less democratic as a consequence. And Tom, the letter also thanks the five and a half million Australians who voted yes. And they note that the yes vote was more than the support that any political party received at last year's federal election. It's really blistering, this letter. Yeah, they've told us what they really think and how how it really feels to sort of, I guess, see that painful result for the Yes campaign um, last weekend. And I think during the campaign, they're very careful not to ostracize anyone and to try and appeal to to everyone, um, you know, especially the soft no voters. But this one really, I think, gives you a sense of how much pain they're feeling. And in the Middle East, the Israeli military says it's been intensifying its bombardment of Gaza before what's expected to be a ground invasion. So the increase in strikes is meant to help reduce the risks for Israeli forces who are expected to go in as part of that ground offensive. Um, The US is asking for the ground offensive to be delayed so more hostages can get out and more humanitarian aid can get in. And there were pictures emerging over the weekend of big trucks of aid heading into Gaza, Katrina. That border, uh, the Egyptian border, uh, did briefly open uh, over the weekend and it's hoped that it could open again. So far, more than 200 hostages have been taken, including people from dozens of countries. Uh, still some Australians um, stuck over there. Foreign Minister Penny Wong says the Australian government is now assisting 77 Australian citizens, uh, permanent residents and family members who've been caught up in the conflict in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, and they also released um, two of those hostages over the weekend as well. I think that's a, a another tricky part of this whole dynamic that's going on at the moment and the way the Israeli forces are approaching this um, assault on Hamas in the Gaza Strip is working out how they can do it and get some of the hostages released. 
Well, China has agreed to review the tariffs it's placed on Australian wine producers. Unlike some of the other products, uh, the wine industry have indicated they were having difficulty finding other markets to fill the gap that was created by the breakdown in the trade with China. So this is critical. Yeah, this is a huge deal for an industry that was pretty much brought to its knees, Tom, by this decision. A lot of producers have gone out of business um, since this happened three years ago. They've put the figures, um, exports of Australian wine to China used to sit at about $1.2 billion prior to these import duties coming into place. And today, those export figures sit at around $8 million. Um, so Anthony Albanese has confirmed he'll meet with President Xi Jinping in Beijing next month, um, and he hopes that that will foster a much more stable relationship. Yeah, so they're slowly unwinding um, these trade sanctions. So that's a yeah a massive win for Australian producers uh, and I think a step forward by the Australian government. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Anthony Albanese move on from um, you know, the referendum the weekend before last and start dealing with these other issues, um, including going to China for that first visit in a long time and also heading to uh, the US this week where he's going to meet Joe Biden. All right, up next, Jan Fran looking at this really interesting app that could use your mobile phone camera in an emergency. It's Jan Fran here. We're talking about Good Sam, an app being trialled by emergency services around the country. In New South Wales, it allows police remote access to a caller's mobile phone, while in South Australia, Victoria and New South Wales, it lets ambulance services alert community first aiders of nearby cardiac arrests. It has been described as a revolutionary crime-fighting tool, but there are some concerns that it could infringe upon our privacy. Jody Siganto is one of those people who has those concerns. She is from the Australian Privacy Foundation and she joins us now. Jody, welcome to The Briefing. Thanks, Jen. What's your understanding of how this technology works? Because it's being rolled out differently by different emergency services. So let's start with ambulances in New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. How does it work? Yeah, that's really interesting. It looks as if it works in a way that was really designed to be super helpful by connecting appropriately qualified people in the community to somebody who might be having a cardiac incident was really the the primary purpose. And that's probably a really good thing, right? It's good to get quickly to people in that kind of circumstance. So the idea was that uh, if you have the appropriate training, you sign up to the app, um, perhaps through your ambulance service. And then when a triple O call comes in, it can then be directed to the ambulance service and they can use the app to identify somebody who has the appropriate skills to provide cardiac services uh, who can come to the aid of the person who has indicated that they're in distress. So it's sort of, I think it's actually probably, a, a you know, at its heart, a really good idea to try and save lives, yeah. It's being trialled differently by New South Wales Police. What's your understanding of the way that New South Wales Police are using the app and its purpose there? Well, that's the really interesting thing about technology, isn't it? It's like things that are uh, designed for one purpose 
a quickly adapted kind of it's just a, a human sort of thing so it looks as if what's happened is that uh, one of the bits of functionality that was included in the ambulance in the in that kind of cardiac type situation was a video functionality which would be very helpful for the ambulance service or the or the emergency services to um, provide additional support or to help with diagnosing um, issues at a particular scene I suspect that what's happened is that people have realized that there's some other benefits from that kind of video functionality one of the bits of functionality that was built into the original app was that if you uh, the responder like the the emergency services or the ambulance or the fire could send a text message to the person at the scene and they could click on a link and that then would enable the video so you didn't actually have to have the app you could just um, enable video recording of a scene on any kind of phone so mm. that's a bit of functionality that has been found particularly useful by police in other circumstances for example you know the case study that they give is you're walking home at night you feel that you might be potentially being followed or in some sort of other tricky situation you put in a call to uh, the police and then they can send you a link and that will trigger that same video functionality so that you can kind of be talking to somebody and showing them the picture of of what's happening in your circumstances kind of in, in real time, which, you know, can potentially again be very useful. Yeah, I mean, top line for me, it does strike me as useful um, for emergency workers to be able to see what's happening on the ground. You do have some concerns about that though. What are they? It's a little like the same concerns that we have about um, body-worn cameras. Often there are issues around what else is being recorded at the time. Like, um, you know, you might be picking up other people who are in the vicinity, uh, other, other conversations, other sound. All of that is then recorded and held. And I, uh, it looks as if it's going to be held by the, the police. The actual good sound themselves are very clear that the, the recordings, the voice and audio recordings, are within the control of the emergency services system. So then it just really depends on whatever their um, systems are around how that information is and used going forward. So there are implications for, for people who might be, you know, in, in, in perhaps if you're in a more crowded situation or a, a domestic violence situation is something where they often talk about, you know, some of the issues with the use of, of cameras, body-worn cameras, or in this stage, the kind of video streaming type stuff, because it, it will, you know, record a lot, uh, uh, you know, a lot that's going on in a particular, uh, particular scene. And often without any notice to the other people who are involved, that that recording is taking place. And as I said, without necessarily being clear about, you know, what, what happens to it, how long it's stored for, what, what it might be used for going forward, yeah. Well, the fine print says that uh, the police or the ambulance service has complete control over who's able to see the footage within their organisation and that the length of time that the footage is stored is to be determined by them as well. Um, so they haven't given a definitive time for how long that footage is stored. Does that Does that raise alarm bells for you? Well, absolutely. I think that one of the things for privacy people is that, um, you know, the transparency or just being really clear about, you know, what's being, what, what information about you is being recorded, you know, how long it's being kept for, what it's being used for, you know, particularly by, by law enforcement who, you know, as much as I love them, sometimes don't have a great history of, of upholding, you know, privacy rights. So, yeah, I think that that is a major concern. Mm. I want to talk to you a little bit about consent because usually when people are calling triple zero, um, not all the time, but certainly a lot of the times it is uh, quite an intense emergency situation and sometimes, you know, people might be really flustered, they might be really stressed out, they might be having the worst day of their lives. How much are they actually able to consent to being filmed in a circumstance like that and, and what if they kind of decide after the fact that they really wish they hadn't done that? 
It's kind of been a big carve out of, for privacy for, uh, for you know, since inception is that this idea of the sort of the vital interests of the individual. So if you're in an, uh, an emergency situation where it's really a matter of your kind of life or death or your, your you know, your safety, that consent is not required to kind of the collection or, or, or you know, the basically all the other privacy rules are kind of lifted because it's in the interest of the individual for their information to be collected, shared or used. So consent isn't really necessary provided that you're in the vital interest in that sort of existential crisis sort of situation. But I guess that's one of the things about going back to what we were talking about, you know, with the ability for an individual to trigger the use of the filming in certain circumstances that don't necessarily meet that requirement that it's the, you know, the, the an existential threat to the, to the particular person and then what happens there where it's just not as clear. Mm. I mean, I guess the other thing with the consent is that, sure, consent might not be required in these circumstances, but suddenly the that particular circumstance is on video uh, and it's being held by an organisation that you have no jurisdiction over. So that adds another layer there to the consent. But um, this technology has been used in the UK for some time now. It's sort of widely credited with doing good for police over there. Um, would you like to see it get implicated here? Because clearly there are some benefits, particularly um, when it's being rolled out by ambulance services. Yeah, absolutely. But it's trying to find the, the correct middle ground, right, of using some really great technology. But, you know, a couple of things, being really transparent about what, do you know, what are the pros and cons, like you say, you know, being really clear for individuals. Do you know what, it's an app. It's really easy on apps to kind of give a very clear, this is what's going to happen if you press the button, um, as opposed to here's a link to our 50-page privacy policy. And then again, the privacy link that you get is probably to the good SAM one, not to the actual emergency services who are the ones who are going to be keeping your video. Um, again, making it really clear about what happens to that footage, how long it's kept for, how you can delete it. I, I, I really have no idea. And I think it would be very difficult for somebody to wade through, you know, all of the different privacy policies and, and different regulations that, that you know, uh, apply to law enforcement agencies in different states' rights to kind of keep evidence from a scene. So, you know, I think being, being much clearer about those sorts of things when you decide to use the app would be immensely helpful. That was Jodie Siganto there uh, from the Australian Privacy Foundation, just, you know, ringing some light alarm bells there about the Good Sam app being trialled uh, in different parts of the country by emergency services. I think she used the term middle ground there. That's always a helpful term when dealing with new technology and, and privacy concerns, isn't it? Listener.